0: Hey, everyone. The It's All Journalism team wanted to remind you that we have an email newsletter where you can get all the latest news about our podcast. Go to our website, itsalljournalism.com, and follow the link to subscribe. Thanks, and enjoy the episode.
1: Resources have not gone to people of color and to communities that are marginalized and overlooked. Philanthropy has done a terrible job with that.
0: As traditional forms of news revenue evaporate in the online environment, many outlets have turned to philanthropy to help pay the bills. But how can we assure that donor money is being distributed fairly and to those newsrooms who are covering traditionally underreported communities? I'm Michael O'Connell. Welcome to It's All Journalism. <music> Teresa Gorman is the program manager for the Public Square program at Democracy Fund. Public Square is a local ecosystem that helps ensure all people have access to the news and information they need to engage in public life and use their voices without fear of being harassed, silenced, or ignored. Teresa, welcome to It's All Journalism.
1: Thanks, Michael. Great to be here.
0: Well, tell me a little about yourself. You know, I understand uh, you have a history in digital transformation in uh, public media. You know, tell me about that and how would you end up at Democracy Fund?
1: Well, my very first job as a kid was actually as a newspaper carrier. So I've been in journalism as long as I can remember. But then when I actually entered the field, things looked a lot different than you know when I'd been throwing papers onto people's porches. Social media was just becoming a thing in newsrooms. And I became one of the first social media editors at PBS NewsHour. And being part of that kind of first generation of social media editors really inspired me to constantly be rethinking how we do journalism, why we do journalism, how we're connecting with our communities. And that really was a through line for me throughout my career. So I then went on to some other public media organizations like NPR, where was on their first digital training team and worked with stations all across the country on how to use digital to connect with communities, worked with freelancers at the Association of Independence and Radio. And so I got to work with almost every piece of kind of a what an ecosystem looks like and really started to see how all these great projects we were doing were great. And I met great people, but everything was felt incremental. It felt like we were doing these community engagement pieces that would end when a grant ends. And I wanted to work somewhere that was thinking longer term, that was thinking, what changes can we make that will actually last? So that eventually brought me to Democracy Fund. So they really have a systems change mindset. So they're trying to change things for the long term. And that really inspired me when I found out about them. So sort of
0: expand on that. What is the Democracy Fund thinking long term? What does that mean? What are they looking at? Where where are they hope to travel forward with media?
1: Sure. So the vision is actually an inclusive, multiracial democracy that is open, just, resilient, and trustworthy. And a big part of that is through a more vibrant and diverse public square, along with free and fair elections, accountable government, uh, just and inclusive society. But I think what's been really unique about Democracy Fund is from the start, they had that public square journalism program and they were thinking that we have to have this as part of a, a just democracy. And in the beginning, it was surprising to some people <laughs> that Democracy Fund had journalism as one of their core pieces of work, but I would say fast forward a few years and people really understand how important it is for our democracy.
0: I've been doing this podcast for about 10 years, and democracy as part of the discussion has not been really... I mean, it hasn't been forward in the discussion until very recently, as more people began to understand the role democracy plays in our free society. When we see you know, not just in in the U.S., but in other places of the world where, you know, they don't have access to media or, you know, certain voices aren't being heard. Um, Certainly, there have been conversations about diversity and inclusion, but having democracy as part of that mix seems to be something that's more recent, which is a good thing. Certainly for places called Democracy Fund, one would think that that was a priority from them. Have you found that? You've been in journalism for a while. I mean, are more people mindful or, th- or thinking about democracy as, as a legitimate topic of discussion in 2022?
1: Yes, people are definitely thinking of how journalism makes a healthier democracy. I mean, we see all these studies now about, you know, when you lose a local newspaper, voting goes down or social cohesion goes down or government corruption goes up. But we also are starting to see what can happen when we build something new, like a city bureau, where they're helping equip people with the resources to go to public meetings and take democracy in their own hands. So we're really seeing both the detrimental effects of what's happening, but also the positive effects. And I think that's really what the public Square program is all about. It's really thinking that no matter where people live or who they are, you talked about Conclusion and equity, they should be able to get the news and information they need to live their lives and to engage in civic life. But we know that there's a lot of problems in the news media, so we need to be working together to build something that can build that healthy democracy and that healthier public square.
0: Okay, so let's fill in some of the specifics about public square. How is that sort of realized in the different markets and the different networks that you you have?
1: Sure. So we do a lot of different pieces of work, including as a funder, making grants, bringing people together. But I think one of the best examples of what I'm talking about is the local news ecosystem network. So that's a coalition of organizations and leaders that are using different mixes of solutions to build more representative ecosystems around the country so that includes different media alliances funder coalitions capacity building organizations all across the country that we kind of bring together and fund and are kind of building together all across the US
0: are you replicating certain types of systems around the country or are you you know finding Things that are in place, or the things that people have started, and supporting that and funding that.
1: Well, it's a mix, actually. You had what I would call the original, the OG ecosystem, on your podcast way back in 2016.
0: Is it with City Beat, perhaps, or the There's the Detroit one, and there's one in Chicago. I should um, make you
1: guess. Oh, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, New Jersey, actually. Oh, um,
0: oh, oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. So back What's in 2016, name? Josh, uh, yeah. You had Josh Stearns and Mala Diaggi are on, I think. Yes. Who talked a little bit about what they were building and they were talking about how they're building new networks. They're building a new organization called the Center for Cooperative Media, which now this year is celebrating its 10-year anniversary that can kind of serve the whole ecosystem. And in those 10 years, we've learned so much from New Jersey and kind of shared those lessons across the country. And now we have six states that we focus in and they've kind of picked and pulled different lessons from each other. But one of the things that is unique is that they start with local needs and you know, New Mexico is a lot different from New Jersey. So it's really important to start and say, okay, what does New Mexico need? What does Chicago need? What does North Carolina need? So they all have a little bit of a different flavor, but together it's this kind of beautiful meal. So they kind of come together, share things, but have grown and kind of become their own unique organizations over time.
0: So you sort of alluded to this. Medill recently published a report on the state of local news which says that news deserts are continuing to grow. So Public Square is something that, that's sort of addressing this problem. Tell me how you're doing that and you know, maybe share a few of your success stories.
1: Sure. I think that there are kind of three things that I really think about when I think about the conversation about news deserts. One is kind of reframing the problem So the conversation is often pretty negative and there's lots of bad things happening, but what are we building that we can be excited about? That is rethinking beyond news deserts, talking about media deserts. What are the other resources that exist that we can kind of pull together? So that's what's happening in ecosystems. For example, in North Carolina, One of the first things they discovered was that there's a huge gap around Spanish language information. So they helped fund the first digital news startup that is Spanish first, that is a great organization, but they didn't stop there. They then gave resources to a Spanish language farm workers organization, to a text message service, to another organization, and then brought them all together and said, okay, can we do to help solve this problem and that wouldn't have been possible without the north carolina local news lab fund kind of being that convener taking a look at all the different pieces and resources and saying all right what can we build if we do have this gap so they were able to kind of put more of an asset mindset and say what do we have that's great and we can build together and then kind of out of that you know during covid Farm workers in Eastern North Carolina had text messages about where to find vaccines or masks and things like that because they'd done all that pre-work. The second big thing that we really think about is growing the pie. So this is a big problem and we need some big solutions and some big dollars <laughs> to solve this problem. So that's with public partnerships. So in for example Colorado they've helped raise millions of dollars from other funders that have never given to journalism before and they said okay you care about health then you should care about journalism you care about democracy you should care about journalism so let's all create more resources and then also with public resources so we really think that there needs to be more public resources for journalism. So an example there, back to New Jersey, the New Jersey civic information consortium has just this year gotten $3 million from the state that is going to go to community media organizations. And it's kind of the first in the country example like that. So really rethinking we've got to get more people in. There's lots of places doing this really well. American Journalism Project and others, but the local news ecosystem network is really doing it on the ground, getting everybody from, you know, funders to governments to businesses in the door and involved. And then the final thing that is super important when we have this conversation, when we're building these new things, is equitable funding. So if we're growing this pie, if we're reframing the problem, if we're kind of stopping this problem, then we have to give. We have to rethink what we're doing. Resources have not gone to people of color and to communities that are marginalized and overlooked. Philanthropy has done a terrible job (laughs) with that. So Democracy Fund is thinking about whatever we're doing, if we're solving the news deserts problem or we're building something new, we have to have equity first.
0: Amen. Amen to that. Um, (laughs) You said a couple of things in there that I did want to sort of go back to. I agree that I think when the problem of news deserts was identified, it was like, oh, my God, this is a very negative thing. And, you know, for the first few years, it was very much, there was, you know, this is a huge problem. It took a while for people to sort of act on it. And The other thing that I like about what the approach that you're describing is the diverse ways that you're sort of trying to solve it. It's not a one-size-fits-all. It's not we need to put, like, weekly community papers in all these communities that used to have lost their papers. You're looking, you know, on the ground, what is it that's really going to have the big impact? Is something like you said in North Carolina about, you know, having a texting or setting up some sort of texting service, because that's what the, you know, the audience is going to utilize to share this information. So thinking broadly about the different ways to solve a very big problem I like seeing so many new ideas and new approaches to this and, you know, sort of see, see them succeed. Tell me a little bit what you're doing in New Mexico, because we've had a few guests on from that section of the country. And I'd, I'd be curious to hear a little bit more about what's going on there.
1: Sure. Yeah. Those were all great points. And I think What's exciting is letting local people kind of figure out what they need. And then we can come in and say, hey, have you talked to this person in New Mexico yet? They're doing something really cool. And I think you can kind of copy it a little bit, but tweak it for Chicago. And then in New Mexico specifically, we helped create the New Mexico Local News Fund with a local funder. We always work in partnership with local funders. And over the years, they've done some amazing stuff. A few of their focuses right now are on building collaborative reporting. They have a new Southern New Mexico reporting project. And that is a great example of, there's some really overstretched people in that part of the state. They don't have a lot of resources, you know, one people newsrooms, but there's some really important stories to cover. So they're coming together and they're doing it together. And then The local news fund then provides kind of resources and helps them come together. Another big thing that they learned when they first did their original research was that there's a lot of brain drain in New Mexico. So they created fellowship programs and a pretty high percentage of those fellows have stayed in local newsrooms, which they've been super excited about. And then they're kind of, they just keep layering on. One of the nice things about this approach is they can learn and say, oh, actually something newsrooms really need this year is business training. So there's Mark Glazier, who you probably know has been doing business model training in New Mexico with their executive director, Rashad. And it's been really nice because they have that tentacles, they're out, they know what people are thinking about, and they're able to kind of provide that quick support along with that long-term support. So
0: since you have these these sort of tentacles of local news around the, the country, what was the impact of COVID? Were you able to sort of sh- share strategies throughout the network of reporting and best practices and things like that?
1: Yeah, I think COVID was the true test of this model. Would these types of organizations that are basically ecosystem resources, be helpful or be harmful because they're kind of another resource that people need to support. We actually did an evaluation where we kind of compared some states and cities that had an organization like the New Mexico Local News Fund versus that didn't, and found that those that did were able to respond to COVID, I would say, much more quickly. They were able to bring people, the newsrooms together, say, what do we need in Colorado? they were able to raise money and say, here's some money to cover this in New Mexico. Another great example is they started a mental health fund. You know, journalists were going through so much and those are the type of resources that just don't exist anymore. Those big newsroom resources, nobody has. So we saw that we saw in New Jersey, they created a a translation project where they translated all the coverage of COVID into many different languages. So What was nice about having these organizations is they were able to pivot. They were able to learn really quickly. When the newsrooms were super, super overstretched and having a really tough time, they were able to turn to these organizations as resources. And then on the funder side, we really saw a big change in funders' understanding of how local news affects their communities. I think they themselves were looking, you know, a program officer was looking for information about masks and couldn't find it (laughs) or their organizations they support were having a hard time getting out the word about important things. And we saw foundations that think about health first or science first really understand that they had to put some money into this and that they had to get involved. So all the funding pools we saw kind of saw a bigger fund fundraising successes because funders understood the impact of covid and realized wow journalism is pretty important i think we need to fund it
0: yeah that, yes that would be a good thing and you know covid is the biggest local story of of, mm-hmm. of of the last you know 5 or 10 years you know you needed to know what was open in your neighborhood you needed to know where you could go get masks or immunizations or whatever and that's all local. I mean, it's a mm-hmm. big big national story. It's got implications internationally. But really, when you get down to it, the people you, you want to communicate with uh, that you want to serve are, are all local. And so overstressed newsrooms were busy for a reason. They, they were trying to uh, get all that information out. One of the reasons that we do this podcast is to, you know, shine the light on work that's being done, but also, you know, let people know that this resource is out there. If there's a, a newsroom or, or there are journalists or somebody who has a startup or something, what type of organization do you want to get involved with or who can maybe reach out to you and, and try to see you as a resource?
1: There's a bunch of different ways people can get involved. So on the newsroom side, of course, if you are, you know, in Oklahoma, Colorado, New Jersey, North Carolina, New Mexico, or Chicago, we can make sure you're connected with those organizations. For example, North Carolina has grants around open right now. And there's lots of opportunities like that. But we also know of, I would say, at least a dozen more organizations that share the same DNA that aren't technically part of the local news ecosystem network right now, but we're talking to or giving coaching to, so we can always make connections to those new networks. And then another thing we've been hearing from folks that this really connects with, that they think, you know, I've been doing community engagement or I've been leading a content collaboration in my city or state, and I want to do something more. And I want to start something like this ecosystem organization. So we've been hearing a lot from folks like that. And I would love anyone like that to reach out. We have different resources that we can send them. We are providing various coaching resources and things like that. And then I think the biggest thing, and you've probably heard this a lot, is that that type of new thinking is tough to do when you're in a local region and you feel kind of alone. You're still there's still a lot of folks out there that, you know, haven't heard of the ecosystem approach or aren't into collaboration and you kind of are pushing that that rock up the hill. And I think the biggest benefit of reaching out and getting connected to us and to the other ecosystem leaders is just feeling less alone. I think that's one thing we've heard. We just do a big Zoom call or we're all at a conference and have a dinner and people feel so excited to go back to Wyoming or Indiana and say, hey, I can do this. Somebody in Chicago is going to call me next week and give me some tips. So I would say that's a big thing that people can, can get out of this.
0: One thing I did want to ask you was about, we talk about inclusion and diversity. How is the Democracy Fund, how is your program, you know, sort of assuring that it is bringing in many different voices?
1: Yeah, that's huge. And we always have more work to do on that. So there's a few ways that we are keeping that in mind. One is just being really transparent about where our funding is going, taking a look at who's getting our funding versus not. We have a great program called Equitable Journalism that has done things like created the Racial Equity in Journalism Fund And supported things like the Pivot Fund, which just launched some really exciting stuff in Georgia. So, really thinking that that's the first thing we want to do. And I think it's important not to put that kind of in a corner. It's like we do that stuff over there. It's to make sure it's part of everything. So, especially with the local network work, every project has started with a community listening assessment of some kind. So, focus groups or Different ways of just making sure that we're listening to communities, creating community advisory boards, making sure that it's not one funder deciding where all this money is going. And that's a huge thing. And then I'd say another way we do it is with our local fix newsletter, which we are constantly getting people sending us things to feature. We are doing lots of different interviews and chatting with folks. So it's really up to us as program officers to make sure we are constantly learning, listening, changing what we're doing. I really love it when I get some like hard feedback (laughs) and saying, you did this wrong, or why are you doing it this way? And that's hard to do. That's hard for people to do to a foundation, especially if you're trying to get some money. So that's one thing we do too. We try to provide a lot of different ways for people to give us feedback. So
0: just to sort of wrap up here, I mean, where do you see the Democracy Fund? Where do you see the Public Square program? You know, what direction are you heading? Where where do you hope to go to in the next, you know, five, 10 years?
1: Lots of things. I think one thing that I want to see is having a version of these organizations that are part of the local news ecosystem network in every state and territory, just having somewhere for people to go to. So eventually we want to see that network be really strong and be everywhere. And then another big thing that we are really thinking about is making sure that we do have a dream or a vision of where we want to be rather than it just being kind of on the defense. We think it's really important to be working collaboratively with all our other funder, partners, our grantees, and really pulling that vision together. I think we're at, to be honest, a turning point. There's so much opportunity right now for public funding, for rethinking how we're doing things that if we take advantage of it in 10 years, we could be at a really exciting space where people just, people have the information they need and aren't scrambling to figure out where to find a mask and can turn to that text message service or that local journalist who can help them out. So that's really what I want to see in the next 10 years.
0: Well, I, I want to see that we're not scrambling for masks in 10 years. That's I know. My, <laughs> that's my goal. But, you know, we have to, we have to. Teresa, this is, you know, I really enjoyed this conversation. You know, what Democracy Fund, what Public Square is doing. This is serving a, a huge need, certainly in, in local journalism, especially, you know, the approach that you have and the, and the direction that you hope to go. Thanks for being on the podcast.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who make the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter. You'll get all the latest info about our podcast, including episode notes and news about live events and upcoming interviews. Go to itsalljournalism.com to subscribe. Speaking of subscribing, you can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, SoundCloud. and